really get involved in the life of the church. And it's, of course, it's more than just fellowship and koinonia. This is where our roots go down. This is where we really come to understand and know each other. And it's so that we can really best serve one another. I want to tell you that every, Jesus said this, Paul said it, every joint supplies. Everyone has something to offer. Everyone is valuable. Everyone is a blessing. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a blessing. You are a great blessing. Not only are you a blessing, but you're a joy. And we just really want to just encourage you to come out to life groups. We don't want to keep you late because uh, we know it's school and work tomorrow, but we usually start at about 6 o'clock. We really encourage you to come if you can. Amen. Isn't God good? Serve a good God. God is doing great things. And... Uh, want to just encourage you. I want you to take your Bibles and jump with me into Luke's Gospel, chapter 15 this morning. Uh, I really, I, w- I want to share a, a message uh, this morning. I'm going to give you the title after we read this passage. And uh, I want you to start with me in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Notice what it says. Then we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 2. But let's just read a portion of this very familiar passage in the Bible. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners, notice it says all the tax collectors and the sinners, drew near to hear Jesus or Him to hear Him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke a parable to them, saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness to go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, likewise, that there is more joy, everyone say joy, joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine people who need no repentance. Isn't that interesting? How many of you know that once you repent, you don't have to repent again? Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Amen, because we've repented. Verse 8 says, And what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light the lamp, sweep the house? By the word, the word sweep there literally means turn the house upside down. How many have ever turned your house upside down just to find one thing? It doesn't mean she just take a swept it. It means this woman was radically looking and turning this thing upside down. She searched carefully until she found it. When she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I, likewise, I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one Sinner who repents. And then Jesus goes into a third parable, the parable of the lost son. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me 
the portion of goods that falls to me, so he divided them with his livelihood. Living. And when he had spent all, there, there arose a famine in the land, and began to, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat? to spare, yet I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And there he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great far off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, bring out a ring for his hand, sandals for his feet, bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead. And is alive again, and he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I'm going to end it there. I know the story goes on about the elder son, but I want you to jump over with me also in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, very familiar passage. I want to lay this groundwork before we get into the word here. This Ephesians chapter 2. Amen. I know I'm not hearing a lot of pages, so I'm assuming we all got our cell phones here. Amen. <laughs> I'm, I'm renewing my mind up here because when I don't hear a lot of activity, I now know they're, they're, they're using your... Just raise your cell phones. That, that, that'll work for me. Amen. If you haven't noticed, I need a lot of support from you. Praise God. After preaching for 25 years, do you know that being up here, still, you still scare me to death? I just want you to know I'm still scared to death. I tremble up here. Uh, you may not think so, but I really do. Knees are knocking. Everything's flying off. You know? Anyway. Jesus says here, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace, everyone say, by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should brag and boast and go tell everybody about how great and how hard they've worked and what they had to do to get back to God. For we are His workmanship, or we are a work in progress, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, we pray right now that You just anoint our ears and our minds. Lord, I ask You, Lord, to just give us ears to hear. Help us to see. Help us to comprehend. Help us to wrap our minds and grasp what the Spirit of God is saying in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. I want to I share a word and it's entitled, What Are You Worth? Amen. Turn to your neighbor this morning to say, You're worth something. Amen. 
You're worth a lot. Amen. Come on, let's all do this now. I know some of you haven't done it yet. Amen. You're worth something. Amen. What are you worth? And uh, when we talk about worth, when we talk about worth, it's, it's kind of one of those unspoken things, but yet worth and what we are worth really goes right down to the depths of the core of every person that lives. We are really concerned about worth. I heard a, a study not too long ago that young people, especially young people, and parents you need to hear on this, young people today, they, there was a question asked among about a thousand young people that were in high school. What is the most important thing they want in life? And one of the most important things that are important to young people is their friends. Do you know why friends are important? Because friends give young people a reflection and helps them to understand what they are worth. In other words, we like people. It's unfortunate. In fact, this is why friends come and go. Because so much of our friendship is not based on what I can give and add to the relationship, but it's what you give me and how you will make me feel because the deep-seated desire in every person is to understand who they are and whose they are. And to understand, what am I worth? How many here have ever watched American Idol? I have. I used to love Simon because Simon is so honest. I mean, did Simon just say, you know what? You cannot sing. You are in the wrong place. I mean, I love the guy. I mean, he, uh, I know he's not born again, but he would make a true prophet because he's so black and white. You know, he just says it the way it is. You can't sing. Just get out of here. You can't sing. I mean, and you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I love, the, I'm not interested in the, the talent contest, but what's so interesting is how people fall apart because they're not going to be famous. Why is this huge drive in America to be an American idol? I'll tell you why. It's because each one of us have been created in the image of God, by the way, but in our own sin, the Bible says we were born and conceived in sin because we are lost, the Bible says, and we were without hope, Paul says, because we are separated from the knowledge of the truth, there is a desire and an under, a drive and a motivation within all of us to find out who we are and what we are and what we're supposed to be. We look for worth in friendship. Some of us, we look for worth. And a lot of people today, they feel that in the social status, if, if, if I can reach a particular status, if I, can, if I can get my education and get that job and I reach that plateau, I'm somebody. If, I've, if I can reach Wall Street, if I, if I got that 401 and I, I reach certain goals, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we don't set goals. But, but ingrained into the very fabric of the way we've been raised in America, by the way, our worth is usually determined by how hard we work and what we do to earn it. Do you know that? In fact, we even use the Bible and we read the Bible 
in such a way that when we read it, we read it so we can know what to do so we can earn that sense of satisfaction to say, hey man, I'm doing what God said to do. I'm worthy now. I'm worthy because I go to church, I pray, I tithe, I obey. And, you know, and uh, we, we, we do that kind of a thing. We don't necessarily go around saying, hey, well, I tithe and I pray. But, but inside, there, there is that, that sense. There's a, there's a motivation there. In fact, the Bible even says that the law that strengthens sin even causes us to do that. When sin, the Bible says that sin, we were separated by sin, the nature of sin, separated from God's presence. Jesus, through the blood, has drawn us back. We've been restored to the Father through Jesus. The blood of Jesus now restores us into a a right relationship. Not only does He restore fellowship and a relationship, but how many of you know the blood of Jesus makes you worthy? Our worth now has been already paid for but people today we we are we have been shaped our minds our values have been shaped we really lean on what other people say we for instance uh, uh, rejection the the one thing i heard a sociologist said or a psychologist says that one, one thing that that the human heart cannot handle is rejection and it's true God, God never created us to experience or to feel rejection. That's why it's important for children, for babies, to experiencing the nurture and the love and the acceptance in a home. It's one of the, in fact, uh, even non-Christian uh, uh, counselors will tell you that when children are raised in an atmosphere where there's proper affirmation and affection and love, and when children have been spoken over and spoken value, when, when one or those around them speak life and value and begin to affirm those children, they tend to grow up with a healthy, balanced, they're far more capable of adjusting and coming into adult life and adjusting to the pressures that begin to hit them as as it hits all of us. But your worth, what you're worth, is a a very uh, valid question. It's a valid question. It's something that we all ask. And one of the things that we find that in these passages that when we go back into the Bible and we begin to look at what Jesus did, how many of you know that Jesus created a lot of controversy? And uh, there were things that He did that frustrated the people of His day. Now, I, I want to tell you something. I actually believe that in some ways, and some of you are going to probably... Uh, don't throw me out when I say this, but sometimes we've given the Pharisees a bad rap. Uh, let me just tell you. Do you know what a legal? Do you know what legalism means? Legalism. Legalism means a person who desires to be legal. How many of you want to be legal? How many of you would like an illegal society? That's what legalism is. Legalism means a person who wants to be legal. I care about the legalities of things. I don't know about you, but I I like a legal society. But the problem is, when it comes to our relationship with God, we realize that it's not through the legal works or it's not because of good behavior 
that were made worthy. And you see, the, the Pharisees, and a lot of, I, I hate to say it, but there was a day where I, I used to say when I'd read my Bible, you know, I'd never do what those Pharisees do. I mean, uh, those Pharisees are crooked. They're, they're, they're just all about legalism. When I begin to look at the definition of legalism, it, it means a person who's prone or who desires to do things the legal way. And I thought, well, wow, that's not a bad idea to be legal. But the only problem is when it comes to the gospel and because of our sin and because what sin did, it is impossible for us to be legal. We've all been illegal. We've all been, we've all been separated by sin and sin made us uh, didn't make us illegal, but our position before God. We could not earn it. Jesus made us legal. Amen. How many of you know that it's not by works of righteousness, but by His grace we're saved? In other words, His death makes us legal. But what happened was, is that when Jesus came, He began to interact with people. And what Jesus began to do is that He would begin to wine and dine with thugs. He used to wine and dine with thieves. Uh, one day, He was in the house of Simon, and here comes a woman with an alabaster box, and she begins to give Jesus a foot massage with her hair. How many of you would raise your eyebrows with that one? And one in the world is Jesus... Uh, and Simon said, if Jesus only knew who that woman was, he would not let her talk. Jesus did some strange things. Publicans. How many of you have heard the term publican? A publican was a Jewish man who the Jews saw as a traitor because that Jewish man would now work for Rome. And as long as they were, and basically Herod was smart, they were smart enough to say, look it. We don't want to become and turn the Jews against us. Let's see if we can find some of their people who are willing to do our dirty work for us and let them take the heat. But in the same, same way, let's go, let's go ahead and allow them to skim when it comes to the tax time. And so the publicans were hated by the Jewish people. They were looked at as traitors. And so because they would not only tax the people, they would tell you what you have to owe in taxes, but they would also, they would skim, and they would, they would take more than they were supposed to. They were known as thieves. And what's so amazing here is that when the Pharisees come to the disciples and complain, it says, why does your master eat with thieves and thugs and lawbreakers? I believe that they had a real big concern. They had a concern. After all, if you eat with these lawbreakers and these thugs, do you know what you're going to do, Jesus? You're just giving and sending a message that it's okay to do that. You're putting a stamp of approval. Your friendship with these people is going to send the wrong message. We need to keep the gospel pure. We need to keep the law clean. And we need to keep a separation from those people. Those kind of people. The only problem with the Pharisees is they were lawbreakers themselves. 
And uh, they just put on a robe and they wore the hat and they even preached behind the pulpit while they, they, they just learned to cover their sin and be nice and tidy with their own sin. Where others just let it fly out and didn't care about it. But they learned to cover and that's why Jesus called them hypocrites. A hypocrite is a person, by the way, isn't just one who just does the wrong thing. But he pretends to be righteous when he's really living a lifestyle contrary to the thing he's believing or even teaching. He willfully does it. Now, a hypocrite is a person who willfully does what he does. It's not just because a person who fails to do what he knows he should do, but a hypocrite goes, it goes farther than that. It means that I'm doing something, not that I only know it's wrong, but I do it willingly. In other words, I'm skimming, I'm taking, I'm embezzling, and I'm hiding it from you, and I know it's wrong, but I don't care. That's what Jesus refers to as a hypocrite. And how many of you know that no one will get away with anything? Everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, just to let everyone know. But here in this passage, Jesus answers the question or the statement when they asked, how come your master eats with sinners? How come he has fellowship with these gods? Doesn't he understand that this is not a good thing for our message? And so all of a sudden, Jesus begins to sit down and he tells them three stories. The story about the lost sheep, the story about a lost coin and the lost son. Now, I want to make a statement right here, and you maybe if you'd like to write this down, I want you to remember this. Grace is never achieved, it is received. God's grace is never achieved, it is received and must be received. So when Jesus starts off, He starts telling about this shepherd. By the way, when I, I've taught this and I've gone over this, but when I did some study on this, I come to find out that when Jesus used the parable of the lost sheep about the 99, the, the, he, he had a hundred sheep and one went wandering and he was left with the 99. Now folks, I want to tell you something. I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to math. But I do know one thing, that 99 is more than one. And I'm also a businessman. I used to be in business. And I don't know about you guys, but I am not going to put the 99 at risk and possibly lose the whole bunch to go after one lost, not only lost, but probably a very dumb, stupid sheep. A dumb, stupid sheep who happened to just wander off, get lost. He, he just moved up, didn't follow instructions. If he wants to go, in my thinking, I would have said, count my lot, cut my losses, let the guy go. You know what? At least I got 99. I'm going to take care of these 99 guys. They've been faithful. They've been good. And you know that crazy lost one. But Jesus says, now the interesting thing about it, when Jesus said, would you not all leave the 99 and go after the one? Actually, what he says is not what they do. Most business people would not leave and put the rest of their investment at risk 
to go save one dumb lost sheep who didn't listen to instructions in the first place. But Jesus uses an illustration and He says, Shepherd, does He not leave the 99 and He goes after one? I guarantee you, those shepherds during that day are saying, I don't think Jesus understands business. I, I, that, that's not a smart business move. To leave the 99 and go after the one lost sheep. Not only is he lost, he's dumb. He was a dumb lost sheep. He, was a, he got himself entangled in a mess. But here's what Jesus is trying to tell us about grace. And this is something you need to really get. Grace is not logical. Grace does not make rational, logical sense. And the reason He's telling these parables is not to make sense of it. What He's trying to let you know is just how illogical it is, but how great the Father's love is. He's trying to say, do you know how much you're worth? It's worth leaving the 99. It's worth even putting that... It's worth going after the one lost dumb sheep who got entangled, and I'm going to continue, and I'm going to pursue that sheep until I find it. And think about this. He finds the sheep, and what does Jesus say about the, found, the sheep that He finds? He throws a party. Guess what? The price of the party is worth more than the sheep itself. Jesus throws the party. There's more joy in heaven. Guess what? God is saying, they are so worth it that I'm willing to throw a party and celebrate the, the, the finding of the one lost sheep. Now, the reason why Jesus, in His parables, is focusing on the 99 and the 1, and the 10 and the 1, and the two sons, is because all of us, in our human nature, have gone through life, and we've made a lot of dumb mistakes. And we've done things, and what happens is when we get lost, we actually have ever, we, some of us, don't raise your hands on this, I'll raise my hand. I've asked God, God, where are you? And you know what this scripture is saying? God is saying He's pursuing us. Grace pursues us. Grace pursues us until He finds you. Then you have the story of the lost coin. Here's a woman who has ten coins, valuable coins, and she loses one, and the Bible says she sweeps her house. That literally means to turn her house upside down, inside out. She makes more of a mess to find one lost coin. And then the Bible speaks of that when he finds it, when she finds it, there's more joy among the angels in heaven because she finds that one lost coin. In other words, what he's communicating is the fact that you are worth it. You are worth it. And he's letting them know that my time with sinners, my time eating with them, my time... Can you imagine when Jesus went 
And he saw this little short guy by the name of Zacchaeus one day who's in a cherry tree. And uh, the Bible says he's a short man. And I could just, and he's a publican. Everyone hates this guy because he's known for being a thief and a liar and a thug. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, in the crowd, he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Can you imagine Zacchaeus climbing down from the tree and probably he's putting his arm around Jesus and his hands about this like this. That short guy, this is my bud, man. I'm going to Jesus, coming to my house today. You, you, can just, you can just see the pride. He's coming down. The Messiah, here he's coming to my house. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. All of a sudden, in the logical, legalistic minds of the Pharisees and all that religious order, you cannot Jews, you Jews cannot go into the house of a Gentile. You will be contaminated and you, it's the house of a pagan and you will be defiled and you'll be separated from God. That's what's going in their mind. And here Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, man, Zach. Let's go. Let's go, man. Come over to your house. While they're on the way, the Bible says while they're on the way, Zacchaeus is so impressed by the love and by the fact that Jesus is reaching out, Zacchaeus, this is what goodness, God's good, God's goodness, Lord, if I've taken anything from anybody, because I'm accused of this, if I've taken anything, I will replace it four times. I will replace it. God's goodness brought that man to a place where he was willing to say, if, I, if, I, if I've taken anything from anybody, Lord, because you have so blown me away by how good you are, how great you are. You know what? If I've done anything like that, Lord, I want to tell you right now, I will replace it four times. What did Jesus say about Zacchaeus? He says, today, in his house, salvation has come to him in his house. Now, it wasn't because Zacchaeus said, I will return fourfold. It wasn't that. It was because Zacchaeus simply received what the Lord had said. See, God's goodness is what brings the change. It wasn't, God didn't say, okay, I, I want to hear you say the right thing, Zach. I want to hear you say it. Until you say it, I'm not going to do it. It's not what he said. It was God's love and it was God's good goodness that brought him to the point where he said, you know, Lord, I've been... I've been condemned and I've been told that I'm a thief and a thug and I know everybody in the community hates me but I'll tell you something what you've shown me today Jesus shows me how much where my real worth is and since my worth is not in what I possess or what I do but it's what I am in your sight by the way folks do you know that your worth is determined when you come to discover that you have been created in the image of your heavenly father that's your worth. Is what you know you've been created. In other words, you are not born to sin. You are not born just a sinner. You're born and created in the very likeness and the image of God. And when you come to discover who you've been created in, you begin to walk in the newness of that life. Because, you see, being created in the image of God is what causes us to respond in the right way. But we've got to come to know the knowledge of the truth. Then we have the last parable. The last parable is the parable of the lost son. And you know the story. Here you got this young boy, and he comes. He's arrogant. He's proud. He's got some real issues. 
Uh, he's a very narcissistic, selfish, self-centered, self-driven man. He said, give me what I want, Dad. I'm leaving the house. Dad says, okay. He divided the inheritance, gave him his inheritance. And here's a young man, not a whole lot of common sense, not a whole lot of thinking going on upstairs. How many of you agree that this guy, young man is just not really going in the right way? But here's the amazing thing about this father, and this is critical. The father loved him enough to let him go. Parents, sometimes you've got to let your kids go. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Oh, Pastor Ray, it's easy to say for you. No, no. Sometimes you, it, the quicker way to get them restored is let them hit the bottom quickly. The more you enable your young people, you are actually holding them hostage in the problem. You need to... Re First of all, let me say this. Your children are not yours anyway. They belong to God. And once you begin to realize my kids are His problem. Now yes, when I'm raising my kids as in their adolescence and in their years of puberty and adolescence when they're growing up, yes, there is a concern and there is a responsibility. And as a parent, I am to train up a child in the way they should go. And there's responsibility. I'm to love them, nurture them. I am to even set boundaries and discipline. And that The Bible says that uh, uh, the, 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 the reproofs of the father and the laws of the mother is what gives your children guidance and wisdom and understanding. The book of Proverbs, all those things, real important parents need to do it. But there does come a time when parents need to release those kids. And that may, that's what this father did in the story of the prodigal. He released them. Let them go. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor Ram. Amen. Hallelujah. He lets him go. The son goes out, spends all he has, ends up living, eating among the pigs. I don't know if there was cards or letters sent home. Maybe he was receiving some CDs from New Life. We don't know if he was hearing anything positive. <laughs> He's in the bottom of the barrel. He's down on his luck. And the Bible says he was so hungry that he couldn't even eat the pig food. They, would, they wouldn't even share the pig food with him. He was hungry. He was in a place where he was desperate. Do you know that being desperate is not such a bad place, especially when it brings you to understand because the Bible says he came to himself. Now you may say, Pastor, that can't be love. Well, I, I think God was trying to show us something through the parable that the father did not go chasing after his son. He stayed home. But he stayed home and he was looking for him to come home. But he did not go after him. I know that's not always agreeable, but praise God, just someday you can preach this message and say it your way. Hallelujah. <laughs> but uh, he's down, he comes to himself, and the interesting thing about it, it says that he begins to remember how good his servants were taken care of by his father. He remembered the goodness of the Father and how well treated His servants were taken care of. Now, I want you to listen to me on this because I think a lot of us, and I've, I've even done this. The son comes, he begins to talk to himself and he says, you know what? I've squandered my life. I've thrown it away. I've made some bad choices. He says, I will go home to my father. And notice what some of the words are here that the son says 
In verse 18, I will arise and go to my Father and I will say to Him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and am before You. I've dishonored You. And notice what He says in verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called Your Son. Make me and kissed him, fell on his neck, neck and kissed him. I used to think that that was a great mark of humility that he would say, you know, come home. He came home and say, Dad, you know, I've messed up. I've sinned. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. I used to think that that was a mark of real humility. Make me an employee. But do you know that that thought goes contrary to the Gospel. It goes very contrary. In other words, what he was saying is this, you know, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, so make me an employee so I can work back my worth. I want to work it off. I want to show you, Dad, since I've blown it as a son, I want to humble myself. I'm, I'm going to be humble now. I'm going to really humble myself, and I'm going to just be your slowly servant, oh God, and I'm going to work as hard as I can. Since I'm not worthy to be a son, I'll be a servant. Sounds really humble and good, doesn't it? Unfortunately, that is self-righteousness. You hear it? I'm going to work it off. I'm going to prove to you, Dad, that I'm worthy to be a son by working for it. I'll just be an employee. Don't call me a son. I'm not worthy to be called. I'll just be a servant. I'll just be your employee. Do you know what? While the son is planning his new employment in his future, his dad's planning his party. He's not even listening to his son. Now, is that not crazy or what? Feel that when we have fallen, we've blown it, we're not worth it, we feel somehow we've got to earn our way back into His good graces. And you can't do that. In fact, the root of what that boy was doing was based and rooted in pride. I'm not worthy to be a son, I'll just be a servant. I will personally put myself out. I will humble myself. I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. I'm just not worthy. And you really think you're worthy by acting that way when in fact it's the root of it is pride. God doesn't want you to come back with your head down and saying, I'm not worthy. Make me an employee. What He wants you to come back. Now what He did say, what the Son did say is, Father, I sinned against heaven and against you. That part was right. He confessed his sin. His father wanted him to realize he's still a son. And he's still a son by grace. Grace is not achieved, it is received. And the Bible says that his father throws him a party, brings out the filet mignon, and they have a party. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, Pastor Ray, you are just laying it out and just letting sin be... Oh, what, what, there's, you're, just let, you're just preaching a gospel where everybody can just sin and there's grace, 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 grace. 
No, that's not what the Gospel is trying to say. If we go back into Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul... Remember the Apostle Paul? What did Paul say in Timothy? Paul said this about himself. He says, I am the chief of sinners. This is what he said. He says, I persecuted the church. I blasphemed. I brought injury and harm to other people. But then he says this, but I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm not what I am because I earned it or because I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm smart, intelligent. I'm a scholar of the law. No, I am. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, when I came to the Corinthians, he says, when I came to you, I determined not to know anything save Jesus Christ and the cross. Paul refused to show off all of his expertise and all of his knowledge. He refused to demonstrate how much he knew. He chose to say, you know guys, I want your eyes to be on God's grace. And he says, the real reason why I'm here in front of you today is not because I'm a scholar of the law. In fact, God chose me for a reason that unbeknownst to me and why He would do it, He said He finally understood why. God chose me because I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst. Being the chief, you know, lying all the sinners around the world, He says, I stand out as the worst. He says, God chose me that in me would become a pattern by which others would follow of how His mercy not only comes to a person who's hardened, but that same grace and mercy can bring transformation and change and bring a person into a place where they're renewed in Christ. Our grace is not achieved. Our grace is received. Here's the thing. Well, Pastor Ray, what about sinning people though? Okay, I understand it's free and it's loving and God's good and He eats with sinners and wines and dines and blesses. But what about the sin stuff? Shouldn't we deal with the sin stuff? Amen. I understand people are worried about the sin. Boy, we want to correct and adjust and we want to make it right. By the way, I do believe, even in homes, I still believe that I need to adjust as a father. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, He also corrects. But we're not dealing here with uh, the blessing of the Lord. What we're dealing here with is identity and righteousness. How many of you know that there's a difference between righteousness and the blessing of God? Do you know why we need the grace of God? The grace of God, we receive His grace because we are sons and we receive and it's by His grace we are saved through faith. But the reason why we obey God over here is to walk and have the blessing of God on us. For instance, I have three sons. When they were born in my house, they are my sons. They didn't have to earn. When they were in the womb, they weren't coming through the womb Say, Dad, I'm coming through and I'm earning my right to be a son. Didn't happen. How many of you remember when you were born? It didn't happen, did it? You were thinking about, oh, I'm almost worthy, almost worthy, boom, now I'm worthy. It happened. You were born in the house, and you were a son. Okay? 
Now when your son, you love that son, you feed that son, you nurture those sons and daughters, you bless them, they're your children, you love them. Now, dad was not always pleased with his sons. But dad still loved his sons. How many of you understand that? How many of you know there's times where God's not always pleased with you, what you do, but He still loves you as sons? Okay? There's a difference. Sometimes people try to put all that together. No. God loves you. His grace is on you. There may be days where the Lord actually may even take you to the woodshed. I've been taken to the woodshed many times because I'm a son. Because if you have not been chastened, the Bible calls you a bastard. You're illegitimate. So we have to really balance this in a very careful way. A son is loved. A son is adopted. A son is brought into a place of authority to rule and reign with his father. But a son also is chastened because his father loves him. He wants his son to be blessed. I'm not righteous because I obey. I'm righteous because I've been created in the image of God. I'm in His image. I'm taken on the image of my Father in heaven. And I receive that by grace. But for me to have the blessing of God, I'm going to obey the Lord. You'll find that. Going clear back into the Old Testament, God says, if you obey, you'll be blessed. He didn't say, if you obey, you'll be accepted and made uh, my people. He didn't say that. He said, if you obey, I'll bless you. But He says, you're my people. You're my sons. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I believe that we need to come to understand that our worth has been signed, sealed, and delivered, and our worth is based upon the grace of God. For you have you are the workmanship of Jesus. The Bible says, by grace we have been saved through grace. And there's worth in your life, there's worth on you. And this morning, the Lord wants to convey that sense of worth. And you know what? God is pursuing you. He is pursuing you like the lost coin, like the lost sheep. You are worth pursuing. And He is seeking to find you. He is seeking to reveal to you how much joy you bring to Him. And when you allow His... How, how, you may say, Pastor, how do, I, how do I know I'm received? Is when you open your heart and you begin to say, Father, I am going to change my mind. I'm going to change the way I think about my relationship with You. It's not what I earn. It's not what I do. I'm not going to try to be a servant, be an employee for the Lord like the prodigal son but I'm going to just simply receive Your love. And Lord, it's the goodness, it's the love of God that leads me to repentance, leads me to that place of transformation. Maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor, I've really battled with acceptance. I've really battled with my sense of worth. And I just need the Lord to touch my heart. I need my faith to be restored. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? Really battle with that. See your hands. We have a Father in heaven. Can we all stand to our feet this morning? Amen. 
I, uh, there was a number of hands that were raised, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but if you want to come down for prayer, I'm going to pray with you. Because I think we need to seal this. I think it's so important that we understand that we have a Father in Heaven that is pursuing us. God, God, God his, his, the Holy Spirit is the key that really brings the transformation. The Holy Spirit reveals the Father. Do you, know, do you know the story of these three parables? They're really not about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. It's about the Father. It's about Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about the Father. It's not about the son and the lost coin and the lost sheep. It's about Jesus revealing the heart of the Father to His people. That He's pursuing you. He's always pursuing you. And it's through that grace that transforms us today. Amen. Can you just lift your hands? Father, we come to You today. Lord, we surrender things that we cannot change. We surrender... Lord, You do desire to change our behavior and You're changing us. You desire us, Lord, to be vessels of honor. Lord, chosen in Your sight. Chosen us. And Lord, it's as we continue to behold the glory of the Lord as through the glass darkly are we changed that same image. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, I pray this morning that You'd bring freedom to new life. I pray, Lord, that a spirit of joy and a spirit of the family just begin to touch this house, Lord, as we are sons and daughters. We're not employees. We're no longer orphans or slaves, but we're sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, we take the image of an awesome God who loves us. Father, we praise You. We give You thanks. Thank You, Lord, for pursuing us. And Lord, we pursue You today. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now turn to someone and say, You're worth it. Amen. You're worth it. Amen. You're worth it.